Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by America's Choice Windows, where you'll get 10 windows for just $36.80. John, how can we help you? Well, I've got three Sago palms out by my pool that are planted in planters. Mm-hmm. And I've got blankets for them to go over the toppers or something else I should do do to ensure they make it through the freeze yeah are they are they low to the ground or do you have a little trunk on them yet uh they're pretty much low to the ground they're in planters okay. inside a planter okay great yeah so so you know i just did a a, a little facebook video yesterday about mulch so mulch is going to be is going to help you out there now i know they're in planters and you've got a little surface area around there on the sides and on the bottom that are going to get trained or that are going to get uh kind of the brunt of the cold if you will but uh, you also want to mulch them a little bit. That's going to really help. And that kind of goes, uh, goes with just about any tree that's out there is, is mulch is going to be your best friend. I think we're dropping down to, what, 20 tonight, Jim, something like that? 21. 21. Okay. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of cold. So the blankets are going to help. Make sure you cover not only the, uh, not only the, the planter itself but also the plant uh, because this hard freeze is really going to take a toll on especially palms. And that 21 is – in Dallas itself, I mean, the yeah. further north we go, like uh, we're up by Denton right now. Right. I, I really, when I hear 21 in, in Dallas, I'm expecting I'm gonna probably get down to about 16 or 17. Wow. Here. Yeah, and that's that's really cold, especially for your palms, which are not gonna be. They're gonna be more tropical plants. So just make absolute sure you, and even if even though it's a sago palm, if you've got you know if you're listening out there and you've got other palms, you know maybe that grow taller and have a pretty significant trunk, make sure you wrap them with burlap with at least. At least three to four wraps to make sure you get them really well insulated. Now you see a lot of people who will cover the entire plant with yes. sheets and stuff. Yeah, and and that's and, and I should have clarified that absolutely, John. Is is make sure you cover the entire plant best you can on your taller pal- palms that are you know twenty thirty feet tall. Obviously, that's not feasible, but you want to make sure you cover as much of it as you can because that's a tropical plant, and we're talking about you know uh, some serious cold weather that they're just they're really not used to and they're going to take a beating on. Well, I've got one other question. Should I water them thoroughly before I wrap them, before this freeze comes? Freeze comes. You know, that's a great question. There is a, there's an old uh, kind of farmer's trick, if you will. Whenever a hard freeze would come through, what they would do is they'd go in and they spray water around all the plants. And what happens is it freezes really quick, right? So that water, and, and we're talking about the canopy, the foliage, the whole plant. And so they would cover it with this water, and then as it froze, it literally creates a little insulation barrier, kind of like They're an igloo. Little igloo. Exactly, yeah, it's like an igloo up, up north. So um, that's going to really help as well. I you don't you don't want to water the uh, the soil because that can freeze and cause some root damage. Oh really? Yeah, right. not not too much. Uh, a little bit's going to help, but having that cover of of just a little bit of water over the canopy is really going to go a long way, along with the blankets and all that. Okay, so one one other question. I've got the blankets for the top. Mm-hmm. The the uh, um, the pottery itself would it help to cover those with a blanket or some sort? Absolutely, yeah. The root system is is whenever trees go dormant in the winter, the yep. they literally push all the nutrients down to the base, down to the root yep. system, down to the trunk, things like that. And so that's where all your literally the life of the plant is right now. Um, palms right. are a little bit different. They they they'll sometimes stay up above, which is why you want to wrap them up pretty good. But um, as far as the root system goes, absolutely cover that, that planter because those roots, especially think of like a bridge, ice is over before everything else because it has more right. surface area on the bottom. 
same right. concept here is you want to make sure to protect that, especially being in planters like that. So, okay. so make sure you've covered the container as well. Well, and let right. me ask you a question because years ago you used to see people back when we could still buy the incandescent bulb. Sure. You, you'd cover it with a blanket mm -hmm. or sheet or whatever, put a light bulb underneath there to keep a little bit of heat generated yeah. in there. Does it actually help? Oh, it does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I always tell people with like pools, you know, I, I know it's kind of costly to, uh, to heat your pool and get it to a nice, nice warm 70 degree temperature, but anything, anything you can heat your pool to above that is going to create kind of a little micro environment. So yes, absolutely. The extra warmth. Uh, I've seen palms that were right next door to each other where one person heated their pool over the winter, one person didn't. The one on the right where they didn't heat their pool took a serious beating. We had to come in and do some pretty serious stuff to, to revamp it. The guy on the left heated his pool. It created that little micro environment, which was closed in by the fences and all yep. the house and everything. That really made his, his, uh, his palm trees do s just stunningly well over the summer. So, Now, we're expecting a lot of wind with the... Mm -hmm. front tonight is that going to make a difference as well it is and and again same concept as the blankets and and the burlap wrapping and all that that's really going to help a lot so you don't have to do anything special as far as the wind goes but make sure you wrap those trunks pretty good and, and on your sago palms and all that that are lower to the ground you know make sure to cover the whole plant john your question. did i get you covered yep well sir you have a merry christmas and i hope your palm trees do go, do well all right guys thanks thanks john you bet bye-bye Rob and Waxahachie, how can we help you? Yes, good afternoon. My mother has three little uh, seedlings of um, live oak trees that have come up in her backyard in Corsicana. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go down and dig those trees up and, and plant them in my yard in Waxahachie. And I wanted to find out if there's anything special that we have to do Um First, I guess, to transport those trees, and then secondly, is there anything that has to be done to prepare um, holes that we're going to be planting them in? Yeah, that's a great question. Question about how how big are the trees? They're saplings. They're right? only about three foot tall. Okay. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're doing the transplant at a great time because they're going to take such little impact. You're you're hardly going to notice it if you do things right. Uh, the, okay. the number one mistake I see, well, the number one and number two, really, they kind of go hand in hand. Uh, mistakes that I see in tree planting is when you get, uh, most people think of tree planting as you dig a hole, you pop the tree in the ground, right? But there's actually right. a lot more to it than that. And so... I I water it also when that's I right. Put it. No, <laughs> that's I <go> exactly <laughs> right. No, and and this is kind of interesting stuff. Uh, they they found out they actually changed the planting standards a few years back, but basically what they found out is the root system gets to the edge of the planting hole and it runs into this wall, especially here in North Texas where we've got this clay. And so the new planting standards actually say to dig the hole two to three times the actual planting hole, the the size of the planting, uh, or excuse me, the size of the transplant. Uh, so let's say you've got a one-inch root ball, or excuse me, a one-foot root ball. You want to go two to three feet. I know that seems excessive, but what's... That, that, that is just the opposite of what they used to say. You used yeah. to say make it as small as you can and right. just fit it down in there. Well, what we found is that, you know, when we use shovels and everything, we're actually compacting the clay and the, the sand and all that on the outer edges of the, of the planting hole. And what that does is almost creates what we call the teacup effect. So it literally pulls water in there. And so the point in doing this is it actually breaks up all that clay and all that soil around where the planting site is and allows the roots, roots to break through and really establish and really get, get, uh, get significant very quickly. The other thing is most people plant them too deep. 
And so what you want to do is you want to look for the flare at the base. And this is gonna, where it go, it's going to transfer from trunk tissue into root tissue. It's usually about two to three times the size. And I'm, I'm looking at Jim's trees, and they've got great root flares here. But most people plant them, and, and even nurseries and a lot of landscapers um, plant them to where it looks like just a telephone pole sticking out of the ground. So really important is you want to make sure that root flare, where it flares out and it almost is horizontal, where, where the root system transitions into, and you want to leave that right at surface level. Don't go any deeper because that's, like I said, that's going to set you up for for uh, lots of failure if you if you plant it too deep and if you don't dig the tree wide or the hole wide enough. Huh. That makes sense. Yes, sir. It does. Uh, you know, I've heard that when you plant not trees necessarily, but you know, bushes and whatnot, that you're supposed mm -hmm. to put some type of uh, plant food down mm -hmm. in the in the bottom Root of the. Uh, Right. Yeah, you're, you you're right. Yes, you're right. Um, what you want to do, you do not want to fertilize uh, because you're, you're winding up cutting the root system. And if you fertilize, it's going to spur on new growth in the canopy too quickly for the root system to catch up. You actually want to slow the rate of growth down in the canopy and allow the roots to take over. So what you want to do, there's a product out there called, you may have heard of it, called Super Thrive. This is going to be a really great product to use initially as you're planting the tree. And then you want to wait a good year, maybe even two years, before you come in and do the fertilization. Uh, but yes, absolutely, fertilization is really important, especially uh, you're, you're down in Waxahachie. I'm assuming you have like a clay soil, right? I believe so, yes. Okay. Yeah, so with that clay soil, what we're seeing is with all the, the flooding and everything we've had over the past few years, that the soils, most soils that we've tested this year are completely nitrogen deficient. So Fertilization is very important. You just want to do it at the right time, and that's a year to two years after you plant it. But okay. that super thrive, root stimulant, things like that are fair game, and that's going to help you get established much more rapidly. So are you saying to use the super thrive now and then some other fertilizer in a year? Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, use the super thrive because that's not so much fertilizer as is as it is a lot of the micronutrients that the tree normally wouldn't get that, that really targets the root system as far as rapid growth goes. Okay. That's great. And the Super Thrive, I guess you can get at any nursery. You got it. I know, right. uh, you know, not, not to drop names here, but I know Home Depot and Lowe's usually carry it. Uh, but a lot of your, your Ace nurseries. Ace Hardware does as well. Ace Hardware does, right. Uh, but a lot of your nurseries are, are going to carry it as well. Callaways. Callaways, absolutely. This is really great, great. stuff. Okay. Are there any other questions that I should ask? Yes, <laughs> I'm sure there's tons. Watering over the winter, uh, it, being a new transplant, you want to water about once at least per week uh, just to get okay. us through the winter. The root system is still active. I know we all look out and what's that seeing is believing, right? So we look out and our trees aren't growing. But what you don't realize or may or may not realize is that underneath the soil, the roots are still very, very active. They're still taking up water, nutrients, things like that. So make so it's sure it's just water. like watering your foundation. You got to do it year round. Exactly. Absolutely. You don't have to do it as much as you know when it's 110 out there, but right. but you definitely need to keep going on the watering. That's going to make a huge difference. Okay, we'll do it then. You got it, Rob. Best of luck, and let me know if you need any help. Phil, this is Jim. What can I do for you? Jim, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? I am doing wonderful. I'm sitting here watching a bunch of guys work on a tree that I don't have to climb and cut down. <laughs> I, I, I feel for you there. Yeah. I have a 40-year-old home, and my bathtub and shower ceiling has developed a few cracks. 
uh, it's a painted and textured surface. I'd wonder what you recommend to redo that with. And is it only happening in the bathroom? Yes, sir. Okay, so it's probably it, it's probably a bathroom that gets used a lot for the showers, doesn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, so the, the humidity has gotten to it. Uh, is it just little, you know, little fine hairline cracks in it? It, it? it sure is, yes, sir. Yeah. I'll tell you, a lot of times, if you use a good heavy paint, you can paint it and it'll seal those cracks up. But if it, it you know, if it's if there's a lot of them, sometimes you just plain have to scrape off the texture that's up there, retexture it, and paint it again. It, it's just a few little cracks. Do you uh, recommend a certain type of paint to do that when they're so wet in there a lot of times? Yeah, uh, first of all, the brand of paint I would use is Valspar. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, a lot of paints have had to change their technologies over the years, but one of the things I've liked on the Valspar paint is, even as they change, they've kept the paint rather thick, so it covers extremely well. Um, and as far as when I'm painting in a bathroom, you know, on regular sheetrock walls, I'll normally go with either a flat or or uh, eggshell semi-gloss, something like that. In a bathroom, I'm either going to go with a semi-gloss or a gloss uh, because it, it does better with sh uh, shedding the water. The flat will tend to actually absorb moisture a little bit. Oh, uh, I've been painting the actual bathroom walls with a satin. Okay. Uh, yeah, the, and, and satin satin is good. I don't I don't really have an issue with the satin, um, but it's it's really just a little bit above the uh, flat, so it it's still subject to to doing that, and and really any paint after it ages so long that's going to happen. So it's really just probably time to redo it, and, okay, and you'll okay. be fine. Okay. I appreciate it, sir. Phil, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Don in Colleyville, how can I help you today? Hey there, Mr. Dutton. Thanks for taking my call. I've got a driveway at my house. It's probably about uh, 50 feet long, slight inc incline, that's got some cracks that have developed that's running all the way across it. And a couple of them, uh, there's three cracks total. And a couple of them are about a quarter inch wide, and I was wondering if uh, I need to be uh, doing something to uh, ensure that I don't have other problems develop later on uh, because of water getting down underneath them, uh, well, underneath uh, slabs. If it's opening up a quarter inch already, that tells me that you've got a reinforcing problem. So eventually you are going to run into other problems, but to prolong the life of the driveway... I would have those cracks epoxy-injected. Uh-huh. Okay. The uh, aggregate is um, that washed uh, stone, so, you know, it's concrete, and then you see those little pebbles in it, On so it surface. looks nice. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, epoxy-injected, does that kind of match the... Uh, you know, the look there, and, and could you recommend uh, somebody that I could call to have that done, or is that something that I could do myself? Uh, it doesn't match the looks at all. In fact, uh, it's going to look okay. like heck, to be honest with you. Um, 
is uh, on a, on an epoxy stone like that because it, it's not a smooth surface where they can just grind it down smooth with the concrete surface. Um, uh -huh. So yeah, it's it's going to kind of stick out like a sore thumb. As far as doing it yourself, absolutely you can if you get the product. Uh, if you go to whitecap.com, and I actually have some store locations around town, uh, but they carry the product for you to do it yourself. Okay, so uh, you just like use some kind of caulking gun and, and squeeze it into it, or do you have to rent a machine? Or No, it, it you'd have to get the uh, the gun that that puts it in but it, it's it's not all that expensive it's more than a caulking gun um and i don't know of any place that rents them but like i said it's not all that expensive especially as compared to hiring somebody to do it okay and you said the name of the product is white cap no that's the place where you can get it uh oh, whitecap.com and uh okay. as far as the, just tell them you're looking for epoxy for a uh to do epoxy injection on a driveway okay well thank you very much and uh, merry christmas merry christmas don and you have a happy new year as well okay same to you bye-bye justin how can i help you yes sir how you doing today sir man i am doing wonderful how about you oh doing good i'm installing uh, a bunch of pavers in a, um, in a patio area here in just a couple weeks i already have them i've already done the excavation I, um, I've already put the granite in there, the crushed granite, uh -huh. and um, I guess my next step would be to put sand in there. And um, my question is, what would be the number one thing that uh, you would recommend whenever I install the pavers as far as cutting them? Because whenever, um, whenever I get them kind of around my fire pit, I'm going to have to kind of shape them a little bit. Uh -huh. square. And I was just kind of wondering what, what kind of tool should I use to cut them? Well, uh, when you cut them, are they going to be straight cuts or are you going to have to try to do a curved cut? I'm going to be doing a curve on them. Oh, boy. That's tough on, on the pavers. What's What thickness pavers are you using? Oh, boy. They, they're pretty thick. I mean, I want to say they're about a good three inches thick. Oh, yeah. You're going to find... Uh, the best thing you could do is go ahead and get a uh, a wet saw. Really? Yep. Okay. Because any type of chipping that you do, uh, you're going to go through more more pavers than, than what you're going to save. Really? Okay. Um, I guess uh, my only other option on that is to square it off, like maybe with yep. some uh, river rock or something like that, and then yeah. just and then just make it a perfect square around it then? Uh, well, that or, I mean, you, you're, even if you square off your pavers or have angle cuts on them, not necessarily a curve cut, but just an angle cut, uh -huh. um, you know, then you can just fill in with the same sand that you use to bed the things in because when you put pavers in, yeah, you put them on a bed of sand, but then you, you know, broom sand in between all the pavers as well. Right. Uh that can fill any gaps that are left on the end. Oh, okay. That's a good point. Haven't considered that. Now, one thing I will tell you, when I do pavers, uh, rather than using just plain sand under the pavers, I like mm -hmm. to mix Portland in my sand. So I'm using more of a stabilized sand. 
And what that does, when we get these heavy rains, and, and uh, especially if we're getting rising water or anything, sand will tend to shift a little bit. If you mix Portland in the sand and make a stabilized sand, it won't shift around on you. Okay. And what is it you said to mix it with? Uh, just Portland cement. Oh, Portland cement. Okay. Yep. So gotcha. basically for every like uh, five or six shovelfuls of sand, mix in a scoop of uh, Portland cement into it. Okay, Portland cement. That's uh, very interesting. I'll check that out. Okay. Well, Thank you very good much. luck with that, Justin, and have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New you, Year. You too. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye-bye. Margie, this is Jim. How can I help you? Oh, I live in a house, Jim, in a, a patio home, and it was built in between 78 and 80, and uh, they had pa- pocket doors back in those days. Yep. Well, I don't never used it a lot, you know, um, but the other day uh, we pulled it out, and it stuck so we pushed it back and now it's off the rack off the track yeah so what is my solution you're gonna have to get the door out of the track i mean out of the uh, pocket and then and get it back onto the track once it's out of the pocket the the way those doors work is it's much like the uh, sliding doors on a closet Uh the only the only difference is it's buried inside the wall so once you get the the door pulled out of the pocket, you'll be able to get the roller and hang it back up on the track on the section that's inside the pocket first. Yeah, it's the back track for, yeah, the front track is on. It's the back track that's in yeah. the wall. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's why you got to pull it out, and you're, you're going to end up taking the front, front track off and, okay. and hanging the back track first and then rehang the front one. Oh. Okay, I can do that by not pulling it out of the wall, the track out of the wall. No, you don't have to pull the track out. You just have to pull the door out. The door out, okay. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but typically what you have to do is literally, you you still got a piece of the door inside the pocket. You pull the top over to where you can get the the, uh, back roller back onto the track. Okay. And you gotta, you, you're gonna have to manipulate it some. Once you get that one in, then you're able to just pick up the the front of the door and slip it back onto the track. Okay, it'll take about two or three people, <laughs> bigger than <laughs> bigger than me anyway, to do that. Is uh, it a heavy door? It's it's a pretty heavy track. Yeah. It's, okay. I don't think it's a. I think it's it's a wood door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't usually, usually they're. Yeah, I was going to say usually they're hollow core, so they're usually not very heavy. Okay, all right. Well, I, I was just envisioning them having to tear out the wall and put the wall, wall back. <laughs> yeah, nah, shouldn't yeah. have to do it. Okay, well, thank you very much. Let's talk about the cold weather a minute, because uh, you know if you didn't wrap the pipes, chances are real good you got some that are frozen right now, and if you don't. By tomorrow morning, you will. So it's not too late to go out, get the hose bibs covered. Make sure all hoses are disconnected from the hose bibs. Cover the hose bibs. But that's not the only thing you got to worry about protecting. If you got any exposed pipes in the garage, in an attic, any place like that, they need to be protected as well. And I know most of our pipes are under the slab here, but 
in reroutes and things like that, they sometimes have to go up through the attic to take care of those things. Now, what is the big problem with pipes freezing? The big problem is as water freezes, it expands. And so it can break the pipe. And a lot of times it's on an elbow or something like that, but it can break even the middle of a pipe. You don't have a problem until the pipe starts to thaw. Then it starts leaking. So uh, it's critical that we keep the pipes protected. All right, had a couple questions uh, while we were on break there. If you have a cover that doesn't cover all the way, in other words, it doesn't suck in all the way up against the brick, is it doing any good? Absolutely, it is doing some good. But when we get into these prolonged period of freezing weather, especially with the high wind like we had last night, it's not doing as enough good for you. It, the pipe is still subject to freezing. So in order to avoid that, go to step two that I always use, and that is to wrap everything with a towel. And that towel will act just like an igloo and protect it. Um, you know, in fact, if you uh, go and to our uh, Facebook site, with, again, Texas Home Improvement. On Facebook, you'll find that we did a, a Facebook Live a week ago on covering your hose bibs outside using either the styrofoam cups or if you don't have the styrofoam cup or it doesn't fit, use a towel to wrap it up. And, and I got to be honest, I end up using the towel a lot of times, probably more often than I use the styrofoam covers, simply because it's quicker, it's easier and I've already got the towels, but I also have the styrofoam covers. But when you go out there and, and it's freezing cold, because if you're like me, you always forget to go do it early. You wait until it's 10 o'clock at night and you're ready to crawl into bed. It's quicker to just wrap it with a towel and be done with it. Uh, and it does every bit as good a job. So little trick there. Uh, the other question was, when do you leave the pipes dripping? You don't. Plain and simple, you don't. Again, the pipes can still freeze even if they're dripping because the water's just not flowing that much. And remember, a flowing river can freeze if it's cold long enough. So in order to protect your pipes, that's why you cover them. When I was talking about thawing them and get them going, I'm talking about having the water going full blast. That helps to break up the ice and get it moving once you can get some water going through it. But the only way you're getting that done is you're heating up that pipe using hot water, a hair dryer, something along that line. So the biggest reason, though, we don't want to leave the pipes dripping, and it really aggravates me when I drive by apartment complexes and they got the signs out there that says, freezing weather tonight, leave pipes dripping, leave faucets dripping. Every faucet that drips is taking water pressure out of the system. So when there is a fire there's less water pressure for the firefighters to use for fighting those fires. And you don't think it makes a big difference, but I want you to think about it. The pipe sizes are a limited size. And if we've got tons of people dripping them, it's going to become an issue. So the easiest thing to do is just protect them other ways. Got an email question that had come in. I have a brick veneer home that was built in 1978. I have an outside wall that is leaning it is leaning about two to three inches at the garage door near the wall and a half to three quarters of an inch at the opposite side of the double doors, 17 feet away. I have had the foundation checked and it is level. My question is, 
to what type of repairman should I call? Well, Doyle, what you need is going to be actually a uh, carpenter or really a general contractor. It sounds like if the foundation is level and you're getting that kind of movement, the building is racking. And what you got to picture is where the overhead doors are, that's actually a weak spot in the building. And when I say racking, the whole structure can be leaning over one way or the other. When a house is being built or any, any building, you see them put plywood on the corners. You know, the, the wood sticks go up the, the, the frame first, and then they'll put plywood on the corners. That's to make the structure rigid where it doesn't rack back and forth. Where the overhead doors are, we don't have that ability. Now, they do put some plywood there, but got to be honest, typically it's not enough. I personally love to put plywood on the entire outside of a structure when I build it. And if I'm putting hardy siding on it or anything like that, I always plywood the whole thing. It makes it so rigid it can handle whatever hits it. But back to the question, the structure is racking, which means one side is leaning over. The way to fix this is to use a cable and a come-along. Basically, you bolt it to the side that's leaned over, go across to the other corner of the building, and down by the slab, bolt it in on that side. So you basically are diagonal from top to bottom, tension it up. You're not going to be able to pull it all over at once, though. This takes a little while because you got boards that are warped now and twisted and pulled and all that stuff. So every day you can go out there, add a little bit more tension on that cable. And that's why you're using a come-along. You just keep choking it down until you've racked the building back over where it needs to be. Then on the inside, because you don't want to tear the siding off to get to the outside, on the inside, use plywood in order to put all over all the uh, two-bys, and that acts as a stiffener to lock it back into place. When we built our home 18 years ago, the master bath countertop was badly scratched. The builder brought in someone that buffed out the scratches and made it like new. We are preparing to sell, and I'd like to find a contractor that could do that again. Can you recommend someone? It looks like a white corian or other kind of granite substitute. In another bath countertop has a hairdryer scorch. Could that be buffed out too? Well, if it's got a... Uh, hair dryer scorch. I'm kind of thinking this is going to be a man-made marble, and that's more than likely what it was in uh, in that master bath as well. They can be buffed out as long as it's not too deep. Typically, once it's scorched, that goes too deep. No, that's not going to be able to be buffed out. Light scratches, though, can be buffed out on the countertops. They make regular buffing compounds for doing that. Uh, if you want to attempt it yourself, you can actually use automotive comp rubbing compounds on it. Start with a coarse one, work your way up into the fine ones, and then you can actually use a paste wax to give it a gloss back on it. Uh, you know, just if you want to try to do it yourself. But any company that installs the man-made marble countertops should be able to do the buffing because that's part of the installation process. As far as what it's going to cost you, don't have a clue because I've actually never had that done myself. I just know it can be done. Uh, so you may want to check into that. Uh, 
unlike like, if it was a Corian or something like that, they can be buffed out as well. But those are not typically used for bathroom type countertops. That's normally going to be used as a kitchen countertop. And the key thing here that told me this is really not a Corian or something along that line was the fact that uh, the hairdryer scorched it. Corian holds up to heat extremely well, and most of those man-made products like that do, with the exception of the marbles, the man-made marbles that are used in bathrooms. And just FYI, because a lot of people are buying marbles-type uh, countertops now for bathrooms and, and, and even kitchens and stuff, marble is not as durable a product as granite and the man-maids are. Looks gorgeous, but the holdup factor's not there. So before you install marble countertops in anything, consider what you're going to use that room for, how often it's going to be used, and how, how it's going to be abused. If you want just a gorgeous kitchen that you really don't do a lot of cooking in, marble is just fine. But if you're going to use that kitchen an awful lot, you need to take a look at some of the man-made materials. Not that I have a whole lot against granite, Granite is gorgeous as well, but it does have to be taken care of also. The man-made materials actually are less maintenance, and I'm talking about like the Corian and Sile Stones and, and things like that. They are less maintenance and stay looking gorgeous longer than the natural stones do because the natural stones have to be repolished and resealed annually. Your man-mades don't. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.